You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part one of From the Hacks 2021 Tim Horton's Briar Preview. As we have done for each of the past five Briar Previews, we've interviewed players from 10 different teams that will be in Calgary vying for a title. In part one, I interview BJ Newfeld of Wildcard Team Cooey, Matt Dunstone of Team Saskatchewan, James Gratton of Team New Brunswick, Ryan Fry of Team Ontario, and Brad Gushu of the reigning Briar Champions, Team Canada. My first guest is BJ Newfell, third for wildcard Team Cooey. BJ and his team have their eye on reclaiming the title they won in 2019. They enter the bubble with a new second, but a very familiar face. Two-time Olympic gold medalist and three-time Briar champion, John Morse. BJ, I know that most of us had difficulty at different times uh, during the pandemic to cope with all the different changes and the restrictions that were in place. Now, I know that one industry that thrived uh, through the pandemic was the golf industry, and I know that's the industry that you work in. Did uh, golf make it easier for you to uh, to cope with the pandemic in that, especially during the summer, it really didn't impact your regular work or your regular activity because you were still able to go to the golf course, golf a little bit, and do the work you need to do around the golf course? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, our our uh, our year at the golf course was basically totally unaffected by by COVID for the most part. Um, you know, we we were going to have a late start to the year just because it was a it was a pretty cold spring and we got some some snow in was end of March or beginning of April. Um, so it was a bit of a late start, but it was going to be a late start regardless. I think. Um, and you know, and then we basically went on to have the busiest year I've seen us have at the course. So. So you know, in that regard, we were. I was. I was busy all summer um, at the golf course, which is, which was really good. Um, and then we're still during the summer. I mean, we're still able to to get out and visit family and whatnot. So, so that part was was pretty good. And then I guess obviously once you got into the winter months and the COVID was spreading a little bit more, and the numbers were getting getting up there, and we kind of had to get shut down. And in, in a Canadian winter, right, can be tough. So. Yeah, it was. I mean, it had its its ups and downs for sure. I mean, there's days where you kind of you, you wake up and you just kind of feel off, you know. And I I don't know if I'd ever ever really felt that before, you know, in my life, you know, where you, you kind of you get up and you're just you're having a bad day, um, just based on you know not really being able to do much and and you know being cooped up in the house all the time. Um, so yeah, it was a bit. It, it was you know it was a, it was a struggle. And I know like my wife and I, I think we helped each other. You know, get through it. She'd have a bad day. I'd have a bad day, and you know, we'd understand what that what that was like. And and uh, you know, we were able to to get through it, obviously together. Um, so yeah, it, it it definitely had its challenges. I mean, the biggest part for us was just. I mean, we're we're always seeing you know my parents, her parents. You know, I we're really close with with my brother, and 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 his kids are really close with our kids. And so not being able to do that, you know, was was difficult. Um, but it looks like we're kind of turning the corner here a bit. We've been able to, um, you know, have some contact with our family now. So, so it's kind of, it's looking up here. And then obviously with, uh, this bubble, I mean, it's going to be nice to be able to, to curl. Um, you know, we're, I think we're lucky to, to curl in Canada has put together a really solid plan here and, and, you know, 
looks like they're so far they're executing it perfectly. So um, yeah, it was more just like get through the get through the the storm here, and and things are looking up now. I want to ask you an introspective question now, BJ. Uh, during this pandemic, I'm wondering what you may have learned about BJ Newfeld that surprised you. I don't know. I guess I you know I would just say just the kind of the the roller the emotional roller coaster that you have that you really you know you can't really control like you know you, you have a on a normal day-to-day basis I mean you have a lot of control in your life and I think that you know as humans we, we all take comfort in that and then you know once that control is completely taken away from you you know that's tough to that's tough to deal with and it takes you know it took some you know some thought and you know some, maybe some creativity and you know to kind of deal with that you know and then just the the stressors of like you said like another event getting canceled or you know not knowing if this bubble is going to work out and you know the cases are are going up and you're like oh is this going to you know take away this this off these opportunities you know and then yeah i mean you also learn obviously how how valuable and important family is as well i mean i think i had a pretty good um you know i really value family but I mean, it's just like I said, when you, when something's taken away from you, you know, you don't. It that's when you really realize how how utterly important it is, and and uh, so not being able to be with family and, and sharing, you know, our family with 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 my with with my parents, you know, the, like my parents and and Sarah's parents are, you know, they love their grandchildren and for them to not be able to interact with them. I mean, it was it was really tough. So finding different coping mechanisms to deal with not having control of your of, of your everyday life, I guess, would be probably the biggest biggest lesson. Now, I'm sure you've been watching some of the Scotties on TV. As we're having this conversation, the Scotties is still ongoing. Is there anything that you can learn while watching these games that can help you prep for the briar, even though they're likely to redo the ice surface completely and paper the rocks between the two events? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always good to watch curling, uh, you know, regardless, really, of what, what curling it is. You know, especially this the long break that we have had, you know, it's good to engage the mind in, in the strategy of the game, you know, communicating, you know, just, you know, and seeing what the ice, and seeing what we might be, what might be in store for us, right? Like, we have, uh, and for these girls, like, they've had kind of both ends of the spectrum where at the beginning the ice was pretty straight, um, and then now it looks like it's curling loss. So, you know, those things are, are sometimes hard to, to deal with, but they make it, it makes it a little bit easier if you kind of have it in the brain that, hey, this could be, you know, what we have to deal with. You know, just kind of be ready for, for anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, watching curling, I think it's always good. It's, it gets the mind um, thinking about, you know, what you got to be thinking about when you're, when you're playing. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good. And then, I mean, or, I mean, I'm here in Calgary right now, so to be able to sit down and watch some of the games with the, with, uh, with the guys and, you know, talking about what we would do and, and stuff like that is, uh, I think, just good a good exercise to, to have before we go into the bubble. At the end of last season, uh, your team made a lineup change, uh, bringing in two-time Olympic gold medalist uh, John Morris to play second. Your team got to play in a couple of events in the fall. How did John fit in? Was the adaptation period a little easier because John had played with both Kevin and Ben before? Yeah, I would say so. Um, 
it's been a pretty seamless transition. Uh, you know, the four events that we played before everything kind of shut down, John fit in pretty naturally. Um, obviously, he's played with Ben lots, and, and he's played with Kevin, and I mean, I've played against him lots, so I think we all kind of knew, you know, what everybody was going to be like um, on the ice, and yeah, he's, he's fit in really well. I mean, obviously, he's, his resume is one of the best in curling, um, you know, and he's still, I think he's really fired up you know, for this opportunity to, to go after another another Olympics. Um, so he's, you know, he's feeling really driven right now. And, and uh, you know, he's just such a he's just such a pro, you know, when it comes to practice and, and, and games. And so it's, uh, he's, he's fit in really, really well. And, you know, it's been exciting for me to be able to play with, with, with John and, and Ben and Kevin. Again, three guys with, you know, the best best resumes in, in curling so it's been uh yeah it's been awesome the one thing that many people have mentioned about your team is that you're all thinkers on the ice which could lead to a lot of discussion prior to shots being taken is that something you discuss as a group to make sure there are not too many chefs in the kitchen as it were yeah so i mean that's been that definitely i mean we've had maybe a couple hiccups there for sure um you know like you said i think all four of us are capable of, of adding valuable inputs to to pretty much every shot, but it's it's definitely a balancing act there of, of when you know you need to pipe up and say something. So it, yeah, I, I would say there was probably some games. There was a final uh, in particular where where I think everybody was just too involved in 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 the shot calling. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a, a speed bump for us, I think. So it was something that we talked about and, and came up with a plan of, of how we wanted to deal with that, um, especially once we get into games here that are timed. So yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we want to basically, in a in an ideal world, you know, let Kevin, you know, run with the with the game plan. Um, he obviously knows what he's doing, so you know, default to Kevin as much as possible. And then yeah, when those those moments come up where you know there needs to be you know more input from other guys and that's when then we'll get involved but uh yeah i mean it's that that's always a a balancing act when you got you know i think four real good curling minds all together um but yeah that's definitely definitely probably would be the one thing that that we'll have to really be conscious of you know going into the briar for sure since the bar is being played a couple of weeks after the Scotties, uh, your team and others will have uh, gotten a few more days to practice both their shot making and sweeping than the women did before they actually uh, got to hit the ice in uh, in Calgary. So I'm wondering if you think it will take a couple of draws to shake the rust off like like it happened in the Scotties, or if you think the extra practice time will allow the Briar teams to hit the ground running or hit the ice running, as it were. It will be some rust. I, I think regardless of the, of the timing of it, just because... You know, game game situations are are just are, are different from practice. And I mean, you can you can try and mimic practice to a, to an actual game as much as you want, but you know, when it comes down to it, it's just it's just not the same. Um, so I I mean, I think there'll be a little bit of rust for sure. Um, I would expect that. Um, but I mean, teams will teams will figure it out. I mean, they're good enough for they'll they'll figure it out. And uh, you know, the team that kind of probably gets better as the week goes is probably going to be um you know the team to beat um and then as far as the physical aspect of it um you know 
I, I can just really only speak for, for our team. I know we're all in really good shape um, physically, and, and uh, you know, I don't foresee the, the sweeping part of it really being really being an issue or injuries or anything like that. I mean, the, the one, I mean, the good thing about, you know, being cooped up at home is, and we all have access to, to home equipment where, you know, we can, we can keep our muscles and, you know, activated and, and our cardio up. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't see too much of a problem there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no, there'll be, there'll be some rest for, I think probably from everybody in some regard. One of the things that many of the women at the Skies have shared is how quiet it is on the ice with no fans. Your team in particular is used to hearing the building erupt, basically, when Kevin makes one of his quote-unquote Kevin Cooey shots. So I'm wondering if you think that it will take a little adjusting to as the week goes on if you're not hearing those reactions after some of the shots that uh, you and the others on the team make during games, which usually kind of gets the crowd going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it will be different. Um, You know, I I think mostly it just takes the fun factor out of the game you know like i mean that 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 stuff is really fun for the players to to make a big shot and have the crowd react and it, it, you know it, it gets really gets the adrenaline going so it's kind of like you know it's it's just a bonus of 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 playing at a briar right when it's a when it's a regular briar and there's lots of fans um that's what kind of makes it makes it a little bit more fun and a little bit a little bit special um, I, I don't foresee the no fans really affecting play or, um, or you know, the focus of, of teams. Um, I mean, for the most part, you know, if we're playing in a season where there's, or if we're ever playing in a curling club spiel where there's obviously no fans, then, you know, it's not something that we're totally completely not used to. You know, we've played in some events too where, you know, there aren't, there aren't a lot of fans in, the, in those morning draws and whatnot. So, so it won't be totally foreign to us, but it, no doubt it takes a bit of the fun factor out of it. I mean, that's, that's the part that I'll miss the most is just, uh, you know, the, the, the roars and the, and the buzz that, you know, especially for the teams that, you know, make the playoffs, you know, you're in the final, it's just the, the buzz there that's, that's really cool to be a part of. So, yeah, that, that, that'll, that, that, that's too bad that we'll be missing that. But uh, I, I think that going into this, we're just all so thankful to to have this event going, um, to not, you know, miss a, a Briars. You know, as I think we're pretty lucky based on the timing of how it all was in the schedule. You know, we just, it's just got last year's Briar in, and we're just basically had long enough where we can fit this one. And finally, BJ, what will be the keys for your team if you're to make another run at the playoffs and potentially win a Briar title against such a great field? Yeah, I mean it's a yeah it is a it is a great field. I mean it'll be a it'll be a gauntlet that's for sure. Um, but so, like I said before, I, I think that the team that kind of progressively gets better as the week goes um, is going to probably be the team to beat. Um, I mean it's going to be important to to get off to a, a good start. Um, obviously, with only three teams making the playoffs, you know that round robin is you know uber uber important and. You know, it kind of gives you the, um, you know, the feeling that that you definitely probably can't afford to, you know, give away a game, so to speak. Um, you know, not that you really feel like that, anyways. But it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's just, it, it's a great field. Um, you know, we're just gonna we're gonna. I mean, we think we're really prepared for this. You know, I think the talking with the guys, I think we almost feel maybe a little bit more prepared for this bar than we did for for the last Briar. Um, so I think we're going into it in a really, really good headspace. 
Um, I'm just going to look for, for uh, you know, a good start and then, you know, build on that. My next guest is Matt Dunstone of Team Saskatchewan, a two-time Canadian junior champion who will skip Saskatchewan at the Briar for a second consecutive year. Dunstone and his team have added a new second in Kirk Myers to a lineup that finished third at last year's Briar. Matt, I want to start this interview off with a more introspective question. Uh, we've all spent a year spending more time by ourselves than we usually do. What did you learn about Matt Dunstone during this time that may have surprised you? Well, it, uh, I, it's taught me how much I love this game. I'll never, uh, I'll never take, take any sort of event for granted anymore. Any time with the guys, um, any experience, you, you, you definitely never going to take that for granted again. Um, I've I've been joking with the guys and with other people just what I would do to have my suitcase lost in an airport or forgotten on a plane, something like that. Like the the, the the kind of things that drive you absolutely nuts about being on the road and and things like that are the the things I I grew to miss over the last twelve months. Um, we're we're so very fortunate to be able to travel to not only Canada but but around the world to play this game, and that's something we haven't been able to do the last twelve months, and and it's a true eye opener um when when you don't have it um and and i'm guilty as charged for completely taking that for granted and uh you know this 12 months it taught me to never do that again and and enjoy enjoy everything else moving forward um when it comes to curling and whether it's it's good or bad um frustrating or not just just learn to enjoy it and and enjoy the whole process of it all because like this year shows showed you never know when it's going to be taken away from you a lot of elite curlers struggled in filling the gap created when most of the curling season was cancelled, uh, Matt. Many of you scheduled your lives around the sport, so I'm wondering how you went about trying to fill that gap over the past year. You know what, Frank? I, I kind of saw this. You're, you're, you're bang on with, with the gap um, kind of in our lives. Um, I sort of saw this whole thing as an opportunity right out of the get-go with juniors. Um, I know a lot of people at that age are going to school and balancing curling at the same time. And at that time, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and, and thought, if if I'm going to put effort into school right away at the age of 20 and 21, I felt like I was going to lose a step in the game and, and not ultimately get to, to where I want to. So out of the get-go, I, I put the books down. I didn't, I didn't touch that. I didn't really look at, a, look at a future career, I guess, so to say. So I've been pretty much heavy curling um, for the last five, six years, as soon as I got out of juniors. It's been full dedication to the sport and with um obviously not being able to curl this winter this is i I took this opportunity to to begin that process of going to school and and beginning that process in that part of my life so um i've been enrolled in in school at the university of british columbia now since november so i'm taking some online courses um working on towards getting my mortgage broker license so um, it, it's, it's been a blessing in that sense where I've, where I've had some time now to, to safely begin that part of my life. Um, so it's obviously not having the curling part of it, uh, this winter has been unfortunate, but at the same time, um, I had the time now to do something that was going to have to get done eventually anyways. Matt, the last time you and I spoke was shortly after the Briar semifinal last year that you lost to the eventual champions team, Gushu. What did you learn from your experience at last year's uh, Briar that will help you this time around when you get to Calgary? Uh, you, you know what? The biggest, the biggest thing I'll take from that is, is there's no moment too big for this team. Um, we've all been through it all, um, played 
played all the teams in, in every scenario. So there is not a moment too big on this planet for this curling team. And, and we fully believe that we have, we have trust in, in all that we've done and grown um, with over the last 12 months. So, so we have the utmost confidence heading into this, that, that we can finish this thing off. Um, and, and we have full belief that we're, we're for real and, and we can do this, Frank. Now, your team made a lineup change in the offseason, adding Kirk Myers at second. I realize that the rest of the team all know Kirk quite well, but are you concerned at all that you're heading into the biggest championship on the Canadian men's curling calendar with someone you haven't really gotten many reps with since he joined the team? Uh, absolutely not. Um, you know what? As soon as Kirky came on board, um, we were well aware of what the circumstances could be for our curling season. Um, so pretty much right from the get-go in April and May, um, we were we were gung ho on on doing basically everything we could um, off the ice to make that on ice chemistry as, as seamless as possible, and and obviously what better guy to have involved with us to do that than Adam Kingsbury? So I mean the the, the five of us have just been constantly um, in touch. It helps that we've all played with Kirk before too, and and we've got those two events in. So so there's no surprises anymore. We we all know. Um, what it's going to be like on the ice. And it's, it's a very comforting feeling. And uh, we, we all have so much trust in each other. And, and I'll tell you, Frank, it's, it's a pretty special thing to be a part of um, the, the, the five sim we have here. Um, it's, it's like something I haven't felt before. And uh, we're very excited um, to, actually, to actually put the product on the ice now and, and show the world what we can do. Having watched the Scotties, Matt, where some of the teams uh, certainly showed a little bit of rust at the beginning of the week, has your team discussed what you might try to do to minimize the impact of that rust that you might be carrying after several months of mostly not curling? Yeah, like I, I, I truly believe it's it's the it's the rust, not necessarily in the delivery and the throws themselves. I, I think it's the rust in what you're feeling mentally in the game itself, and and what it's like to have to to throw a draw for the win or, or big, like big shots down the stretch where you got to make certain peels or double peels. Like, I think it's that part where there might be a little bit of rust when it comes to the, the throwing of the stone and the weights and the line calling and stuff. That's, that's truly the easy part. That's, that's the stuff that comes easy for, for as much as we practice and play. Um, I, I, I just think it's, it's the rust that, in the sense of mentally in, in certain scenarios that you, you obviously can't replicate in a practice. You can, you can replicate pretty much everything else to do with the curling game um, on the practice ice, but you can't replicate um, what you're feeling in a, in a specific moment in the game. Your partner, Aaron Pincott competed in the Scotties for uh, team BC, Matt, has she shared any advice with you and your team when it comes to dealing with bubble life, when you can't really get out of your room and when there's really not much to do outside of what you bring with you, whether it's puzzles or, or PlayStation or anything like that, when you're not on the ice competing? Yeah, we've been, been lucky, obviously with the women going first, you can kind of learn and get the inside scoop with them, kind of how it all works. So we're definitely at advantage of that sense in that sense. Sorry. I don't think like we, I'm a big PlayStation guy, so I'm going to have my PlayStation with me. So uh, for the, all the downtime, it's, it's going to be no problem um, for me to, for me to fill my time. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be different in the sense of, of not getting to hang around with the guys all the time in, in each other's rooms and, and the camaraderie that comes with that. And, and our team likes to play cards quite a bit. So we won't, we, we won't get that as much early on anyways. Um, so there'd be a little different things like that. Um, I've already bought a, bought a coffee maker to bring with me. I'm 
because it's uh, it's all takeout and and ordered in from the restaurant and whatnot and and coffee is one thing that I don't like waiting for so I figured I uh, stock up on a coffee machine to make sure I got that in hand with me but uh, you know overall um, we're not too concerned about it it's it's going to be different when it comes to to being around each other um, like we typically are at an event but uh, we're, we're taking it for what it is and we're going to find ways around that to to make sure we're feeling comfortable and ready to go. So Matt, I was checking your team's uh, draw at the Briar, and typically draws are either front-loaded or back-loaded, but you've got a nice balance this year with uh, games against a higher-ranked opponent followed by a game against a lower-ranked opponent. Not to say they're going to lead to wins or losses necessarily, but it's a well-balanced uh, schedule for you. Do you prefer that kind of schedule, or do you prefer front-loaded or back-loaded? What's your preference? Uh, if, if, if I had to pick one, I would say a bit of a backloaded schedule. Um, it's nice to just kind of get your feet wet and, and get used to the ice and whatnot a little bit. But, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, that, it doesn't matter. Um, you got to be sharp from day one and uh, continue to build from there. So, I mean, we'll uh, we'll take take whoever we get on any given day and, and go from there. Uh, we're, we're pretty easy when it comes to, to the scheduling, um, as long as we're avoiding that 8 a.m. draw as much as possible. And finally, Matt, what will be the keys for your team if you're going to go on a similar run to last year's Briar and make it to the playoffs and challenge for a title this season again? I just, you know, continue to continue to trust each other and, and buy into the process that that has been established in this team uh, is the big one. When it when it comes to to throwing the rock on the ice and and sweeping the rock and and calling the shots, we're we're at we're at the top with everybody else and. We, we could go out and play 90 to 95% Frank and, and still put up a 500 record in a field like this. And, and we're well aware of that. Um, so, so that part of the game, we're just, that's, that's the least of our concern. We, we feel like we're ready to go to come out and play like that. Um, it's, it's the, the, the whole thing is going to be one between the ears and uh, you know, that's, that's something we've been, we've been ironing out the, the last year now um, with Adam. So uh, we're, we're, we're feeling awfully ready in that sense and, and just win those battles between the years and, and uh, figure out ways to, to keep us occupied in the bubble and, and just how to go about that in between games and whatnot will be the biggest thing for us. Next on part one of the Briar Preview, we have James Gratton of Team New Brunswick who will be making his 13th Briar appearance. Gratton has won bronze twice at the Briar in 1997 as Skip and in 2002 as the third for Russ Howard. Now, James, I'm just wondering, uh, a lot of uh, people, uh, curlers included, have uh, struggled during the pandemic, uh, but curlers in particular have felt a big gap in their lives because many of them actually build their lives around the curling season, how to prepare for it, how to compete and uh, schedule themselves during the curling season, etc. I'm just wondering how you went about filling that gap created in your schedule when curling was canceled for the better part of the season. Uh, well, it's, there's been a lot of family time and, and, and that's a good thing. I think if there's a silver lining to any of this is that we've gotten to know in our families a, a lot more than we ever even dreamed. But, um, apart from that, like we've, we've been lucky out East. I don't know. You probably would talk to some other people from out here and, uh, we've had access to ice pretty much the whole time. And, uh, half our season was pretty normal, even with some events and that sort of thing. So, uh, uh, we've been able to throw every day and that sort of thing. We've had our clubs open the whole time. So, uh, apart from that, like there's, apart from some competitive games since mid December, um, that's about it really. Like we're just getting lots of practice time in. So, uh, we're filling in the gaps that way. Now, one of the questions I've been asking all of my guests for the Briar and the Scotties preview is more of an introspective question, James, and that's 
What did you learn about James Grattan during the pandemic that may have surprised you? Uh, I'm a lot handier around the house, I think, than I thought I was. <laughs> because I'm spending a lot more time at home. Uh, my wife has a nice little long list of uh, things to do. And, uh, and I think I picked up more from my father than I thought I did over the years. I've done some framing and painting and and uh, I'm, 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 I guess I'm fairly handy, and I, did, uh, I didn't quite know that before. You went to your first Briar in 1997, went to the playoffs, and finished third. After that initial experience, did you think it would be easy at the Briar each year? Uh, no. I, I think I was pretty grounded in that fact that uh, I knew what was going on in 1997 when we got on a, a run, and uh, I knew that was kind of uh, uh, a big deal at the time. I didn't like. I know I hear the story a lot of times where people do well on their first uh, Briar or two or Scotties or two, and and they do say that uh, they take it for granted a little bit because uh, they think that that's going to happen every year. But I, I, I I've been a student of the game for a lot of years before that, so I knew those kind of things that we were doing that year were. Uh, uh, a little different, a little special. And uh, I, I, I look back and I was pretty proud of myself that I was able to take it in like I, I think I was supposed to. Now, you were obviously in what athletes call the zone in that 1997 Briar uh, to reach the playoffs and finish third. Uh, what does it feel like, James, to be in an important event like that, not to be one of the favorites heading into the event, but find that zone? What's it like to be in that zone, as people call it? Because for most average curlers, we've never been in that kind of zone yeah i think i'm i'm lucky to have been to the briar as a rookie with no expectations and and i've been lucky enough to play uh with russ those years and going in as what i would have i think what we always consider as ourselves one of the top three teams in those briars those years and uh and then i've uh experienced uh, life as an underdog too and a spoiler let's say and so i think i've seen all aspects of the whole whole spectrum but when you're on a roll uh, so I'll take just 97 for instant, instance. We were uh, just going out every game and didn't matter who it was, and we thought we had a chance to win. And and uh, that's uh, that's a good feeling when you when you're, uh, you're you're you have a visual visualization of a shot, and uh, and uh, and you after doing it, it, it happens, and it's uh, it's not it's not a shock when that happens. So uh, it's it's pretty special. Now, rules aside, uh, James, uh, what are the biggest changes you've seen in the sport between 1997, when you first went to the Briar, and today? Uh, well, let's. We're talking. I've been in the Briar. I've played in the Briar now in four different decades, so I guess I have a nice little uh, uh, synopsis of it all. And I think, uh, well, 1997 that was the first year these Briars and moved into these large NHL size arenas. That was their big uh, uh, moment. Their big, that was when they stepped out of the medium size arenas and into these monsters. And, uh, and it became the norm for about, uh, about eight, eight, nine years at that time. So uh, uh, the Bri I've seen the Briar in its heyday, which is what I call those um, middle 2000s and uh, to 97, let's say. And uh, those were in events where it was very player based. It was very, uh, you had uh, your own rooms and you had drivers and you had uh, players lounges. And uh, I found it, uh, they treated the players like royalty at that time. And maybe that's not the way it's supposed to be, but that's, that's what it was at the time. And I think over the years, it's become more of a business and more uh, the players have, I don't know, we've, we've lost a lot of those frills and, 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 and things, which is, it's not a bad thing overall, but uh, I was glad I was able to see it when it was uh, when it was in its heyday. I I, I don't uh, 
I, I know those big arenas can't happen anymore. TV is so good. And, and uh, when they're showing three, three draws a day, I think in 97, I think we had one draw a day and it was at night and it was probably tape delayed because there was other things on TV. But uh, um, nowadays with three draws a day, I, I know I've been to O'Briar uh, when the rink was right next door to the hotel, but I've the TV so good. I'm sitting in the hotel watching it too. So I think things, those things have changed and that's a, and, and that's a good thing. Aside from Team Gushu, James, there aren't very many elite teams that have come out of uh, the East Coast over the past 10, 15, 20 years. Is that simply a case of distance where it is difficult for teams to travel to the big spiels in Ontario or in Western Canada specifically? Or is it more of a development issue? Although, to be honest, I've noticed a lot of uh, young teams from East Coast provinces over the past few years have a lot of success at the junior level. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, I've used the travel thing because it's a lot easier to uh, explain to people, but the geography just kind of doubles our cost to go to the, some of these events. And like we're, we're not, we can drop, we drive to two events. I think I, we looked at uh, where it gives us a significant uh, uh, CTRS advantage, but uh, everything else we're flying to, we, we actually go to Europe once a year uh, because it's just, it's, it's just as easy to go there as it is to go to Edmonton cost-wise and that sort of thing. So uh, um, it, access to sponsorship is another big one. Um, Curlin's just not the, the thing it is in the West and uh, some of these businesses and partners that we can access to. We love the ones we have, don't get me wrong, but they're, they're not what, uh, what would require, what would we, what we would need to uh, travel to a lot of these events out West. And I think uh, Brad's been an anomaly, but of course he has an Olympic gold medal to kind of uh, uh, show some of these, uh, corporate sponsors which kind of helps things so uh, i don't have that yet but uh, maybe one day right <laughs> every year when you're at the briar russ howard typically says uh, to watch out for your team in the second half of the briar because it usually takes you three or four games to get used to the ice the swinginess swinginess of the ice pardon me because you don't play on that type of ice very often on the east coast is that a fair assessment from your old teammate russ uh well he's not wrong he's uh he's lived here for almost 20 years so i uh he has some perspective on that uh i know those years i played with him we we talked about it quite a bit where we even even him who's been to a lot of events and had a lot of this stuff under his belt he'd always have to adjust the first couple of days uh, when he arrived at these events too and and kind of uh redo uh, his delivery redo his release like if i if i played if i used the release that i use at the briar in New Brunswick to, I probably wouldn't win a provincial championship. Like we have to throw a little different to find some, to get buried some spots and that sort of thing. Uh, so the same thing that allows me some success in, in winning New Brunswick championships doesn't serve me well when I go to the Briar. And uh, I've kind of over the years developed a, a release for, for each. And uh, it sometimes takes me a little extra time to get used to the ice when I'm, uh, or the, uh, the bend when I get to the, these briars now this year and the last few years, we've gotten smart with that. We've had a bunch of uh, cooperative ice makers that have done up sheets for us when we go out and practice and that sort of thing. So uh, I think that's becoming less of an, less of an issue because we're sandpaper and rocks now, and we've got ice makers that are helping us out on our side. So, uh, uh, but uh, historically speaking, he's not wrong. At last year's Briar James, uh, your team was a shot or two away from the championship pool. Do you believe that the extra reps you've had this year uh, in practice, uh, a lot more than some of the other teams, uh, might give you an early edge once you arrive in Calgary that could allow you to qualify for the championship pool this time? Yeah, well, 
traditionally, uh, I think last year is a prime example. We've, we beat a couple of top teams and, but we didn't, our, 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 our issue usually is consistency is we can go out there and have flashes of brilliance and, and beat some great teams. And, uh, and then the next time we go out, we could, we could lose to, uh, a team where we're, we're traditionally supposed to beat. Uh, so we, we, we need to polish those kind of things up before we can uh, kind of get reach that next level. That's what killed us last year. We, we set ourselves in a good position to win one out of our last two games. And, uh, and, and we lost a game we shouldn't have, which cost us the championship pool last year, but being so close, obviously you, it's, it leaves you with an impression that you, you, you know, you can do it. It's not like we're going in there knowing uh, that we're going to have to, we're, we're in tough. Like I think, we're definitely looking at uh, that area of the draw and going, yeah, we, we can do this. We just got to do the things we're supposed to do and then, uh, and, then, and, then, and, and just be consistent. Obviously, there will be no fans in the venue in Calgary, uh, James, inside of the bubble. Uh, how do you think that will impact the uh, Briar experience for you and your team? Oh yeah, I, I think I think I think it's, I'm I'm happy that I'm not a rookie. I would hate to have this as my first experience at a briar. Like I, I wouldn't call this a, a briar necessarily because when I, I've always appreciated over the years when I take somebody on my team and they walk into that arena the first time and see the ice surface and see the crowd filtering in and I kind of take a moment and always uh, enjoy their reaction to that sort of thing. So uh, fortunately, this year we don't have any rookies on our team, so I think we're all prepared for what we're we're going to see we've talked it through and we've had lots of zoom conversations trying to prepare ourselves as much as we can, but it, it would be a shame to have this as our, our first briar first Scotty's experience and uh, to not be able to uh, experience it like you should. My next guest is 2014 Olympic gold medalist Ryan Fry, who is the third for John Epping's Team Ontario. Fry is making his 12th Briar appearance, having represented three different provinces and Northern Ontario. Fry has one Briar title on his resume in 2013 as the third for Northern Ontario's Team Jacobs. Ryan, before we get to curling, I wanted to ask you more of an introspective question, seeing as we've all been dealing with a pandemic for the past year and have spent a lot of time at home alone. What did you learn about Ryan Fry over the past year that may have surprised you? Um, that I don't, the one thing would be for sure that I don't, uh, like I've relied on curling so much, um, you know, lived and died with it over the years that, you know, you're, it, when the off season's on, you're training to, to get ready for the season and vice versa. And it's, it's been, I've actually found it extremely therapeutic and enjoyed the fact that, uh, we've been off curling for um you know a little over a year minus a few practices and a couple of little small spiels um it's it's been it's been nothing but you know a good thing in my mind but that's the way i'm trying to look at everything to be honest with you but it's yeah it's it's been a it's been great to take a step back and you know get a get a little bit of a you know energy to what you're doing and not just running through the routine and the monotony of you know playing for what feels like 30 years <laughs> now for many curlers the cancellation of much of the curling season created a large gap in their lives because they structure so much of their lives around the sport of curling you seem to have figured that part out a little better than many other curlers and have used the time to refresh was that just a reaction to having a big gap in your day-to-day life or was it simply a decision you took to take the time away from the sport to to hit the reset button or, or the refresh a little bit as you said and you're just you're basically saying the key to life in my opinion <laughs> uh you can't like obviously the initial you know the initial letdown of not being able to play in um 
the you know the last few slams and i'm sure for uh brad not being able to play in the world and carrie not being able to play, play the world it was a massive disappointment um but with what's going on you know with you know people losing family members and you know um you know the health of the health of you know the globe for that matter just being in a little bit of a precarious position it's not it's absolutely pointless to sit there and worry about whether or not you can curl or not so i you know i I was a little disappointed which i'm sure everyone was but you know i've learned to you know learn to adapt and it's you know there's a lot of you know a lot of people who own businesses and are self-employed in curling and a lot of people took a pretty massive hit and you had to you had to adapt and learn over the last year and i i personally think that um what I've been able to learn is just uh, has been enough to give me the, you know, confidence that I'm not too, uh, I'm not too as dependent as I was on, on curling as I thought I was. And it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's been a refreshing, you know, 12 months. I I think, I think the one thing that I I do miss, I miss the traveling. I miss the people. I think my wife misses, uh, misses her alone time but <laughs> she gets a good dose of it over the next uh, over the next couple of months so now about a year and a half ago ryan uh, you went through a situation that got a lot of media attention much of it because they could throw the title olympic gold medalist in the tagline so that people would click on the different posts that were made about that situation what advice would you have for other athletes who end up having to deal with something similar yeah it's you know it's a story from it's a story from a few years ago now i i Personally, at the time, it was, you know, it's, it's a mistake I made. It's, you know, it's a learning experience. But, you know, that's, again, that's life. You're going to go through obstacles, maybe not some as, you know, public as, <laughs> as some of the ones I have had in a, as, but, but you come to the realization that, you know, most of the problems that are caused you've done to yourself and you take a step back, reevaluate and make some changes in your life and move on. To be honest with you, the opinions of most people don't matter to me. Uh, the opinions of my friends, close family, and and those people matter to me the most. Um, and you know, the the person I am and the person that I want to be has never changed. So it's 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 basically you got to take you got to take the bumps in the road, um, you know, with a grain of salt, and you just you just move forward from them. There's way worse things that are going on in the world that if you focus on your own your own problems uh too much i feel like you're doing yourself an injustice there's there's a lot of stuff to be you know grateful for that's going on and you have to you have to focus on that especially when times are tough at the scotties ryan it certainly looked like it took a few draws for the women's teams to take some of the rust off after being away from the sport for the better part of a year do you anticipate the same thing happening with the men's teams at the briar or do you believe that the extra week or two of practice that the men got uh, in the lead up to the briar while the scotties was going on will allow the teams to be running on all cylinders by the time you get to calgary for, as far as getting ready for it um i'm more trying to get my mind ready for it than anything else you know that the tr- we've been training but i've been training like dry land training since it's been off i i, I feel like i'm in pretty good shape coming in i think our team's in pretty good shape coming in um as far as the as far as what's going to restrict i think it takes a little bit of time for your body to adjust because it's going to be there's going to be a lot of you know especially for uh the older teams like like ourselves uh there's going to be you know there's going to be some a few injuries no doubt there's going to be some massive soreness so 
Um, thank God we got Liverleaf as a sponsor and we can bring a boatload of, of cream, but like we're, we're in a position where, you know, we're going into it. And, and I, I truly believe that this, that this event is going to go to the team. That's the most mentally strong. I, I don't think that, I think that, I think the curling in itself will be the same as the Scotties. It'll, it'll get progressively better as, uh, as you get into the championship pool, but with the with the little bit of the rule change with only allowing three, you could see a lot of letdowns. So if you drop two games in the in the early part of the round robin, you're there could be there could be some pretty good mental blocks there as far as knowing that, you know, only three qualify for the playoffs to get into even a tiebreaker, you're likely likely four losses or as much as you can as much as you can stand. So uh, there's going to be there's going to be a lot more. I think there's going to be a lot more emphasis on how mentally strong these teams can be, including ourselves. Now, typically at a Briar, there are no easy games, but there are certain games, Ryan, where teams like yours can win without your best stuff. However, this season you may not know what your best stuff is when you get to Calgary. So I'm wondering if that means that the mental focus will be even more important this year. So one thing with getting all there, Frank, is you you stop worrying about that shit. Like it's uh, the teams are the teams are extremely talented right down the lineup. You know, there's probably I'd say there's probably out of there's at least ten teams that you know can give you very good games. Probably another couple, and then there's a few there's a few down at the bottom that will you know get beat up in this field, um, and that's just reality. As far as as far as worrying about who you're playing. Um, if I had a dollar for every single time I worried about playing Cooey or Gushu or Jacobs and and came out flat against them and then thought that we were going to boat race, uh, you know, one of the other teams and get beat by them, it's 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 absolutely pointless to sit there and try and uh, worry about any of that stuff. Our biggest thing is what package we're going to put out on the ice. And, you know, that comes from, you know, the preparation we've done, the preparation we're going to do once we get into the bubble and uh the type of mental state we can get ourselves into going going forward it's you know you're going to be playing a bunch of games very quickly um and like i said you're there's going to be i think i think for me personally and that's the only one i can really speak for um i think the biggest thing is going to be making sure i'm rested mentally ready and and try and just take care of my body as much as possible the bar is going to feel a little different this year with no fans in the stands to watch uh, all of these great teams play. Uh, seeing as how you expect this year's event to be more of a mental battle than anything else, do you think having a more quiet environment will be beneficial in any way, or would you prefer having the hustle and bustle of a traditional Briar crowd? 100%. I would rather be playing in front of the fans, but it's the reality of, you know, the situation we're all in. It's We're trying to, you know, I, I it's it's going to be a difficult situation for all the athletes and it's, and it's been a difficult situation for, you know, everyone. So it's a, right now we're just, I'm just really looking forward to, um, you know, hanging out with the team and, and more, more than anything, just appreciative of the fact that I get to have a little bit of change of scenery over the next like couple months, because it's been, you know, it's been kind of living groundhogs day over and over again. I'm sure you've heard that with a million people you've spoken to over the last year. It's just, you're doing the same thing. You're living the same day and it's just nice. You know, even if it's going to be the same day in the bubble, at least it's a different day from what I've been living the last year or so. It's uh it's going to be it's going to be an experience and you know it's going to be something we're going to be able to look back everyone who's competing in this thing and and be able to you know say that they've played in you know during the 
pandemic of 2020. They played in a bubble in 2021. It's a, it's a, it's a cool little experience. And I think, uh, I think the energy you'll start seeing the energy ramp up from, from the Scotties as you get into the championships pools. I think that's going to, I think that's going to spill over to the Briar um, probably a little earlier than the Scotties because uh, we've been able to watch a little bit of what's been going on there. And then I think it's going to spill over to the mixed doubles, which is going to be very good curling. And then it's, and then into the slams, it's going to be, it's going to be a phenomenal, you know, little run for curling here. And I think curling's lucky that, you know, the, the CCA and all the, all the organizing bodies were able to get this, you know, with the federal government's help able to get this going, because uh, I think that it's really going to bode well for the sport. Um, just being in people's living rooms for, two months straight, almost every day. The last season was your first one uh, playing alongside uh, John Epping after playing several seasons with uh, Brad Jacobs. What adjustments, if any, did you have to make when transitioning from Team Jacobs to Team Epping? Well, third's a pretty unique position in that realm. Like you're, you're, when, you're, when you're playing third, you're kind of the in-between, between the skip and the front end, and um, at least on all the teams I've played for, that's that's been the kind of dynamic in going from going from – um, you know, Gushoot, who is a very, very professionally run team, um, you know, is is a, is the skip and the and the leader by every sense of it. To going to play for Jacobs, who it was kind of an all for one boys club where we you know beat our chest and and got very excited and all that. And and I just feel like as I'm maturing and 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 getting older that playing with a team like or playing with a skip like John and, you know, Lang and, and Maddie that, you know, it's just a, it's just a calmer feel. And it feels this team as weird as it sounds, feels very age appropriate for me. I feel, I feel very calm in, in the fact that it's, it's a very easy going guys. We've been through, you know, pretty much everything, um, you know, as, 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 as a team, as far as the sport goes. And um, it's just, it's nice to have that calmness and that, you know, respect and admiration for one another. And, and, and we just, we treat each other very, very well, which is, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't always been the case in my, in my past. It's just, it's, you know, different teams, different energies, different compete levels. Um, but there's a ton of different ways to get things done. And, um, you know, how, however a team puts themselves together and what, you know, what sort of dynamics they run, they can win it's you're very they're very talented athletes and there's no right or wrong way to do anything it's just you know what you're most comfortable with and and presently I feel very comfortable um on as a member of team Epping. and finally Ryan as you mentioned earlier any one of about 10 teams has a real chance of winning this year's Briar what will be the keys for team Epping to not only reach the championship pool but also to make sure that you're positioned for a run at the playoffs it's gonna it's gonna take it's going to take a full team effort. Um, you know, as far as, as shot making goes, uh, ice reading, it, it's going to take a ton of communication just because we're not used to it. Um, a lot of stretching, I'm sure. And and it's going to take a bunch of luck, um, to be honest with you. And there's no one who's going to win this event is not going to have a ton of luck uh, going forward. There's just, it's just the way, it's the way it always goes. I just think there's even going to be a little bit added to that this time because there's there's so few spots available for the playoffs so it's not like you can you have to be good for an entire week here whereas in the past with you know back in the day when there was 13 teams and then there's 16 teams the likelihood of you making the playoffs when you're a top team is is pretty good I think here if you happen to slip up 
um, and lose a couple games in your first in the first round robin, which is very very easy to do. Uh, you're going to be going into the championship pool with two losses against playing against uh, seven <laughs> other great teams. It, it's going to be it's going to be a grind and a half, and I, and that's when I think you'll start seeing a few teams shut her down because they're going to be sore. They're going to be mentally exhausted from doing the exact same thing day in and day out. And they're going to know that they're likely out of the event. Some teams, you know, one day into the championship pool round, which is, you know, it's, it's not the case of what we've dealt with in the past. So it's going to be, it's going to be an experience, man. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to just getting out there and trying our hardest and, and seeing what sort of, uh, what sort of luck is on our side and, and try and do all the right things to earn it. And my final guest on part one of the 2021 Briar preview is reigning champion, Brad Gushu, whose team has won three of the last four Briars. Brad, before we start chatting about the bubble and the Briar, I know that you're not only a champion curler, but also a big fan of the sport. How exciting is it for you to watch an event like the Scotties and see some young teams get an opportunity to compete on the country's biggest stage and really not look out of place? Yeah, I, I think it's important and it's also fun to watch. I think, you know, our look after the future of the sport and someone like that team, um, you know, that's that's the future of the team. And and one thing that kind of worried me in the men's game for a long period of time was you had the same, you know, five or six characters that were competing week in, week out. And to see it a little bit more in the men, uh, you know, Don Stone and, and uh, Watcher, who's a little bit older now, but and uh, in, in, he looks like they're, they're up and coming. And on the women's side, I think, you know, this Scotty's field, there's a lot of rookies in there. And, and I think the women's game right now in Canada is a little bit more wide open. You know, you, you have three or four really top teams. And then there's, um, you know, a, quite a group beyond that. Um, where in the men's game, you know, there's there's seven, eight, nine, ten teams that are, are kind of in that group. So it's not quite as wide open. Um, so it is, it is fun to watch and, and see a team like the, the Quebec team, you know, going and competing against, you know, the top women's teams, giving them a game, beating them uh, occasionally. Uh, that's, that's fun to see. In interviews I've been doing for both my Scotties and Briar Previews, Brad, I've been asking my guests a couple of more introspective questions to start off. My first one is, over the past year, much of it's been at home due to the pandemic. What did you learn about Brad Gushu that may have surprised you? <laughs> you know, I, I found myself being someone now that people are really turning to for for guidance and, and as a soundboard, which, you know, or my, my life, uh, I wouldn't have been that type of, so, uh, you know, it's because I'm a, a business owner and, and then also, you know, have some experience with the, from the sports standpoint to certainly help me uh, cope through this pandemic i've gained more perspective i think and that's something i've tried to do with any kind of um, adversity that i've faced over my life is try to you know keep some perspective and gain perspective from it and i, I think i've done that and you know i I've, I've certainly enjoyed relished the the time the time that i've got to spend with my family. uh typically during the fall uh you know we're on sometimes two out every three throughout the winter and in this year you know i was home i got to experience a lot of stuff with my kids that i normally don't do during the winter like most people it's it's certainly that it's it's 
share our challenges and, and the mental struggles of um, not being able to do a lot of the stuff that we love to do, not able to see a lot of people we want to see. Uh, that's challenges as well. So other than that, I'm not sure what I've gotten gotten out of it, but I, I certainly have taken on more of that uh, advisory role than I uh, expected. Brad, one of the things I've heard from uh, quite a few different curlers uh, this year when they're talking about uh, the pandemic is that it created such a big gap in their lives because a lot of the elite curlers, especially the younger ones, they tend to center their lives around the sport of curling. I'm just wondering if you went through something similar. Did you uh, find it difficult to, to fill that void? Because I know you've got outside interests, but curling still eats up a major part of your schedule each year, and it takes up a lot of your time, whether it be events, practice, etc. So I'm just wondering if you dealt with some of that too, having difficulty filling that gap that was created in your life uh, by the lack of curling this season. No, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm say I have had some struggles. Uh, I would say that I, you know, I, my struggles have been far worse than a lot of other athletes have faced. And really it's very easy when you're as committed to a sport as we are, as, as it becomes part of your identity. And all of a sudden when that's taken from you and you go curl, you can't go compete or practice. It's, it's a little bit your identity, a little bit of your purpose is kind of taken away. And anybody that's uh, suffered a, you know, a major job loss or, or anything like that can certainly understand what that feeling is like. And when you get that taken away, it's almost like a piece of you gets taken away. So, uh, and then the uncertainty of, of not knowing when that part of you is ever going to come back, you know, this, this pandemic, if this keeps going, who knows what's going to happen next season, you know, fingers crossed, obviously, but that uh, the season goes ahead and, and we get back to some sense of normal, but you just never know. And, you know, then there's, there's the financial aspect for some curlers that, you know, their, their winnings that they get on tour is, is kind of, you know, a big part of, of being able to pay the bills. And, and unfortunately we're not eligible for any, you know, of these subsidies. So there's some, some financial stress for some players, you know, for me, I think, I gained a lot of perspective and dealt with a lot of this when I had my injury there three years ago and I missed the majority of the season. And, you know, I, I, I felt like a part of me was, was missing. Um, and certainly I, I think my wife and, and the rest of my family would attest that I, I wasn't the same over that the eight months where, you know, I didn't know when and if I was going to be able to curl again. Um, so I know what, they're going through and, and having gone through it, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I, I kind of changed my perspective a little bit and not identify with it as much. And where I am getting, you know, um, in the last couple ends of my curling career, you know, I've, I've also realized that I've, I've got to shift to something else and, and realize I'm not just a curler. So for me, you know, being a business owner and, and, and a parent, um, and a husband, you know, those things all take priority over curling at this point. So, you know, I've, I've gained that perspective. And, and then also the thought that, you know, whether I retire and whether it's five years, nine years, you know, I also need to prepare for that. So that's where the school part came in. So while I have struggled, I, I think it was just, you know, a very low percentage compared to some others. 
So basically what you've done, Brad, is take advantage of the time that you've been given by the pandemic and all of the restrictions and, and all of the cancellations to start work on your MBA so that you can help prepare yourself for your life after curling, even the life that you're doing at the same time as curling, obviously. I've I, I fielded a lot of questions on this, like for, for the future. And, and yes, it is like, uh, obviously I'm not doing my MBA to help my curling career. Um, it is, it is for post curling, but you know, when we had a, when we're in a pandemic and curling season has been essentially canceled or when I decided to do it, I knew the majority of the season was going to be canceled. I just felt this was a great opportunity to fill a bit of that time and, and to develop myself for, when curling is done. Again, what time frame that is, I have no idea. But I think it's fair to say that most teams have showed a little bit of rust at the start of the Scotties because many of the players hadn't thrown that many rocks this season. I know that restrictions were a little looser inside the Newfoundland Labrador bubble, so I'm uh, guessing that you threw a few more rocks than most of the other players headed to the briar. So I got a two-part question for you. How have you been feeling in practice, and where is your game at? And the second part, do you anticipate that the teams at the briar will also show a little bit of rust in the first few games uh, of the round robin, like the women did, or will the bar teams be a little further ahead because they have had a chance to practice for a couple of weeks before uh, heading into the bubble, which the women's teams really didn't get a chance to do? Yeah, so we we did get to throw more than most people in December and January, uh, but our province has been in lockdown now for the last number of weeks. So uh, it looks like I'm going to not throw a rock for the three to four weeks leading into the briar, which is going to be really scary to be quite honest. I, I think a lot of the other teams that went through lockdown in, in December and January, and, and now all of a sudden they, they are throwing, I would rather be in that situation. Um, you know, having thrown some rocks right before you go in, it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, they're kind of cramming for the exam and, and we're not, you know, we studied months in advance and we're probably going to forget it. <laughs> That's kind of the, the, the concern, I guess, that, that we have right now. Um, you know, we, we are in lockdown, so there's much we can do at this point uh, as far as preparation. I certainly expect there to be some rust for some teams. I, I think uh, there are some teams that did get to throw, you know, on a regular basis. So I don't think it's going to be quite the extent that the women have because, in a lot of these provinces uh, that are starting to loosen their restrictions, you know, these men are going to get a, another couple weeks practice that the women didn't get the opportunity to have. And, and in two weeks at the level that we play at, play at, you know, your level can increase pretty, pretty dramatically. And, and you're going to get a, a good sense of the feel back. You're probably not going to be at a hundred percent, but you're going to be pretty darn close. I think where you'll see the rust is just the game experience. Like from our team, you know, we haven't played a game with Jeff since the Briar final of last year. Uh, we played two events in, in Halifax where we picked up a, a couple of young guys to play with us. So we got 12 games, uh, you know, under our belt this year. Um, some teams have 30 or 40, but, you know, that's it's probably at best 30 to 40% of what they normally play in a season. So I expect there to be a lot of... Uh, maybe questionable decisions, uh, maybe some bad line calls and some bad throws early in the week. But I think as the week goes on, I, I, I think you'll see that level of uh, shot making and all the games increase. But from our standpoint, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned just that, um, 
you know, I, I see everybody across the country being able to throw right now, and we're in lockdown. Some of the other players headed to the Briar that I spoke to seem to think that the lack of games in practice season might impact teams mentally more than physically, and that if a team starts off slow, say 0-2 in the round robin, it might be more difficult for them to work themselves back into the event than in a normal year. Yeah, I don't know if... The 0-2 start is, would certainly be concerning for, for any team, and, and I don't know if it's just because we haven't played. I, I think it's the fact that only three teams of 18 are making the playoffs, uh, and in all likelihood, you know, 10-2, and two, you will get in. 9-3, and three, you're starting to get in questionable territory, to be quite honest. Um, so, you, you know, all of a sudden your, your back is against the wall and you still have – you know, I guess while it's going to be 12 games, you still have 10 more games after after that in the round robin to play. So, you know, that's that's where the 0-2 start, where you get wor- get a little bit worried. I do think the mental part is is going to play a factor. I think everybody's kind of perspective as they come in is going to play a factor. You know, there there's some people that, uh, you know, have had a pretty rough over the last 12 months and in, in what kind of mindset are they going to be in. And then there's going to be some others that are just, you know, amped up so high, ready to go that are they going to be able to level that out? Because playing at that level, they're, they're likely not going to be successful either. So finding that kind of mental level where in physical level where you can play at a, at a, at a high level is going to be a challenge. So the worrisome part for, for me uh, personally is, is just the unknown, um, the unknown of, not having played a briar in front of no fans, the, the unknown of, you know, being forced to stay in your room uh, by yourself for, you know, all the other time that you're up at the briar other than playing games, uh, the unknown of going in with, without any practice and the unknown of not having played a game with our team for a year, um, the unknown of what the other team be the level they're going to be at. Um, that's the concern, I guess, for me. And, and I'm big on preparation. And, and right now, there's so many things that you can't prepare for and so many things that are out of your control that preparing for that is, is just about all you can do. Now, among the unknowns you just mentioned is what it will be like competing without any fans in the building, Brad. Your fan base travels well, and you typically get cheered at most venues. How different do you think this experience might be without fans in the arena in Calgary? Yeah, you, you bring up a great point. I think our team has been very fortunate to build a, you know, a pretty large fan base and have support everywhere we go. And the other side is we don't play in many empty arenas because, uh, you know, yes, the morning draws sometimes when you play at a, at a, at a Briar or Scotty's or a Slam are, are pretty, you know, they're, they're pretty empty. But we don't play many morning draws, certainly in the Slams. You know, I, I can't remember the last time we, we played a morning draw. Um, usually we play, we play the night draws, which are a full house. So it is going to be a different experience for us and, and, you know, we are a team that really thrives off that. And, and uh, you know, we love hearing the crowd. We love interacting with the crowd. And, and um, you know, not having them there is going to be a challenge. I think it is, it, you know, it, it could be, it could go either way for any team. And, and, again, this is another one of those uncertainties that, you know, for some of the younger teams, it takes away – you know, the, the challenge of winning a briar, um, you know, cause when, when you get down in the end of the week and you're the only sheet and there's 10,000 people in there and, 
you know, there's some people heckling you, there's some cheering there, you know, it, it goes, it can go any way. And the ability to overcome that and, and kind of tune that out uh, or embrace it uh, becomes a real skill. And all of a sudden now with, without that there, that, that skill isn't necessary. Uh, but then on the other side, um, just that airy quietness is, is probably something that you've, you've got to overcome as well. So I'm not sure. Again, I, I, I don't know how our team uh, in particular will handle it. Um, we are preparing for, for it and, and kind of getting our heads around how, you know, we're going to best handle the fact that there aren't any fans there. Uh, I think, you know, someone brings up when you're in the zone, uh, you don't you don't realize everything that's going on. And that's that's a fair assessment, but you don't get into that zone anywhere near as much as what people think. You know, um, you can play at a pretty high level and be cognizant of what's going on around you and, and the, the noises you hear. You know, the, the times that you enter that zone where you just completely are oblivious to everything going around you other than what you're actually doing is, is, is very rare. Now, the significant others of two members of your team played in the Scotties. Will they be able to pass on any information about the ice and rocks that could benefit your team as you prepare? Or will all that info become irrelevant once they flood the ice and perhaps paper the rocks in between events? Yeah, I, I think from a, a rocks and a an ice perspective, no, we're not even we're not even charting or, or you know, Jeff. Well, Jeff can't go to the arena to to watch the games, um, but we're not going to take the rock book from from Laura's team or or Jocelyn or anything like that. You know, we're going to figure it out once we get up there. That's what our team does. Um, you know, we're and from the ice, you know, they're going to have to flood it again once they take the logos out and put the Briar logos in. So that's going to be completely different as well. Uh, they're going to, you know, sandpaper the rocks, I'm assuming in between it. So all of that stuff is, is irrelevant. I think where we're going to learn a little bit and get a better idea is just the environment that they're experiencing in the bubble. You know, what life is like, you know, the, the swiping in and out that has to happen, the, the kind of loneliness that can happen. Um, you know, the, the atmosphere in the arena, uh, all those little processes that it just gives us a little bit better sense going in. So it takes away some, again, some of that uncertainty that I, I alluded to. So having that uh, is a bit of a benefit, but um, as far as learning anything from the game, I, I just can't see us getting any benefit from it uh, just because things are going to change in between with, you know, flooding the ice and in paper and the rocks. I think uh, any information that we get wouldn't, wouldn't really help us until later in the week. You know, if they paper the rocks, maybe the tendencies of those rocks comes back. So if we can learn anything, you know, it wouldn't be good for us until, you know, uh, well into the round robin. Brad, you went to several Briars before winning your first one at home in St. John's back in 2017. And now you've won three of the last four was it simply a case of winning that first one and getting the monkey off your back? Was it that you needed to learn what it took to win a briar? How did you go from so many years of close calls to winning three of the past four briars? Yeah, I, you know, there's a, there's a number of factors. I, I, I think we were ready to win the briar, you know, for several years before we, we actually did. I think if you, if you look even to 2016, you know, Kevin, Kevin and his team played an, an incredible great game and put the pressure on us on every single shot, you know, that wasn't one where I necessarily think 
that uh you know we lost i think they they won that like they they played an incredible game even going back to 2007 you know we made a a poor decision at one point in the game that kind of cost us again that comes back to just experience like we had all the skill to to win the briar uh just probably hadn't played in enough big games to kind of know when to when to turn it off and turn it on and and then you know sometimes it's just it's just luck of the draw like um you know, we played the Briar final last year against an incredible team in, in Brendan, but Brendan just had a really bad game. And, you know, we, we played we played well, uh, you know, give us credit, we played well. But, uh, you know, that could have easily flipped around where we could have came up against a buzzsaw and all of a sudden we didn't win that. And, and you flip it around then in 16 and, you know, Cooey just has an average game and maybe we win that one. So sometimes it's just luck uh in timing uh more than anything i i don't think it was kind of that we won in 17 and the floodgates are going to open i i just think i think we were ready to win probably as far back as 14 where we were ready to like we were going to be a contender each and every year i think there was a number of years before that where if everything kind of fell in place we could have won uh obviously in in 07 if you know one decision there might have made a difference uh, we had a couple other good years there, and but the tough part in those years, you know, we were coming up against, you know, Kevin Martin in his prime and Glenn Howard in his prime. Um, you know, that's those that was a tough time, tough tough air to curl. You know, over those that period, and and even prior to that, you know, you had the the fur before. So we play, we were playing through a pretty tough ten uh, year stretch there. Um, where I, again, I think we could have won in some of those years if, if everything fell into place. But since probably 14, I think we knew that if we go in and we play the way we're capable of playing, we would win. And fortunately we've done that, you know, three of the last four. It's kind of ironic to hear you say that uh, in the early part of your career it was very difficult to win the bar as it is every year, of course, but you always had to run into Martin and Howard and Stoughton and some of those players. I'm sure that I've uh, heard on a few occasions, whether it's from a, a Matt Dunstone a year or two ago or many other young curlers uh, in the sport of curling, they say, well, every time we show up at the Briar or a Slam or one of these events, we keep running into a Gushu or a Jacobs or a Cooey. So I guess it just goes to show that the uh, sport of curling is quite cyclical. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, if you look back now since... You know, I guess what let's let's just go back to 2014. I think that's when Kevin Kevin won in 14. I think there's been all of one year. I think uh, I think it was just uh, Simmons. You know, it's been Cooey and, and us that have have won every year. So so with the exception of one year, and, and uh, you know, we, we've won all the Briars in, in <laughs> that period. So you know, anybody, you're right. Anybody that looks back during the, that period of of, of seven Briars. Um, you know, they're going to say the same, same sort of thing. So yeah, it's just, you kind of got to keep plugging away and, and wait for your time. And, and a lot of it, like I said earlier, comes together based on the experience that you get playing in these big events. And then just the experience you get at playing enough big games and learning when to go and when not to go. Um, you know, a team like Dunstone from a shot making perspective, yes, they're, they're good enough to win the Briar. Uh, have they played in enough of those big games? You know, maybe, maybe not. Um, certainly, I, I think the fact that they won a, a Briar la- or won a, a Slam last year, got to the Briar Semi, they're in a much better position going in this year than they were last year. Uh, just having that 
experience under their belt. And that does it for part one of the 2021 Briar Preview. Join us tomorrow for part two of the preview with guests Brendan Botcher, Brad Jacobs, Glenn Howard, Greg Smith, and Reed Carruthers.